Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the show, I'm chatting to Francis Ingham, Director General of the PRCA, about what the PRCA describes as an ethical divide that has emerged between those willing to embrace ethics and professional standards and those that are willing to adopt such values within the public affairs sector. A PRCA spokesperson said that almost half of lobbyists are happy to be unregulated and accountable, and this group includes some enormously influential companies. To put this fact into some context, the PRCA's analysis of lobbying company entries published by the government's Office of the Register of Consultant Lobbyists, uh, from now on I'll be calling that the ORCL for obvious reasons, showed that the number um, declaring that they followed no code of contact has increased by 28% between 2019 and 2020. Of the 166 entries by agencies on the ORCL, register 51% adhered to um, the PRCA's public affairs code, 39% followed no code, 7% followed the CIPR's code, and 2% adhered to their own code. Francis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Good to be here. Um, that's a heavy old topic for this one, isn't it? Um, Go on, just just talk to me. Do, do you really think there's an ethical problem at the heart of UK lobbying? I think that the great majority of lobbyists are ethical and professional. But what we have definitely highlighted is that you have some really big companies that have made the conscious decision not to uh, adhere to any code of conduct or, in a couple of cases, to adhere, rather bizarrely, to their own. Now, clearly, we believe in effective self-regulation because we are a self-regulatory membership body. So we do have skin in this game, so to speak. Um, but I think it's in the public interest to ask why these companies have decided not to be accountable. And I suppose the central reason, why might they? I mean, I suppose there's a financial reason, which as in they might want to not join a, a, a trade body like yourselves. But but other than that, is there what, what advantage to them is there, would you would you say? Well, you see, I dispute the financial argument. Um, There are plenty of one-man bands on the Oracle register. They pay £1,000 to uh, be there, and we have plenty of one-man bands as members of ours as well. But you look at some of the names on the register of people who are companies who decided not to be regulated, Clifford Chance, DLA Piper, Ernst & Young, KPMG, Pinsent Masons, for example, I'm sure they can afford the membership fees of a public affairs self-regulatory body. So they've, um, they've chosen not to. Now, um, it's up to them to uh, answer why they've made that decision. But it seems to me very peculiar that organisations such as, as those who are signed up to uh, statutory regulation by the solicitors, regulatory authority and other organisations should decide not to be accountable for their public affairs work. Just talk me through, can we just go back a stage? So, so, so there is a register called the Government's Office of the Register of Consultant Lobbyists, so the, which is the ORCL, because uh, I'm conscious a lot of people listening to this might not be overly familiar with these these various groups. And And can you join that register without joining either 
the, the PRCA? So, or, or do you have to do it through a third party? Well, l- let me just set the context then, because that might be that might be helpful. So, <clears throat> the the government brought in the Lobbying Act in 2014 that established ORCL, ORCL, and uh, the law says that if you have direct contact with ministers or permanent secretaries, and if you are a third party lobbyist, uh, as in it excludes in-house, then you have to, by law, uh, pay £1,000 a year to be on the ORCL register, and you have to regularly update uh, who your clients are that you've had that direct contact on behalf of and who your uh, directors are. That's purely a transparency uh, measure. It isn't a self-regulatory measure um, because um, you don't have to adhere to any code of conduct in order to be on the register. Now, as you said, slightly over half of the registrants on the Oracle register declare the PRCA code, a few declare the CIPR code, but a large number declare no code. And that has increased over the last year for one simple reason. The uh, Oracle consulted with the industry and others on what counted as a relevant code that could be declared. And it came to the conclusion that it had to be a code that referred specifically to public affairs practice. So it couldn't just be a generic, we're going to be good boys and girls sort of code. And at that moment, these companies that were declaring codes that were no longer relevant had the choice. Do we want to sign up to a self-regulatory code or just go for no code? And they've chosen no code. And I think that is a, a poor decision and they should reflect on it. I also think, as it happens, that parliamentarians, ministers and civil servants ought to reflect when they're engaging with these people uh, why it is the people they're speaking with have chosen not to be held accountable for their work. Okay. Um, and what is it about, you know, what what is the public relations, sorry, the public affairs code? I mean, I, I, that may be a, a large document, be, the, the, the details of which we want to, is beyond this podcast. But in essence, what, what are they signing up to? Well, they're, they're signing up to, they're going to adhere to certain ethical standards of practice. Uh, they're not, for example, going to employ parliamentarians because we think that's a deep conflict of interest and our members can't do it. But also they are signing up to an enforcement mechanism whereby any member of the public can make a complaint about their behaviour and we will investigate it and take appropriate action, either saying no case to answer or making some recommendation for how they moderate their behaviour in future or suspending or in ultimate cases um, expelling. And that gives just a safety mechanism for the industry that means that we're, um, we all behave in an ethical manner. And that's, that's important for any industry, but it's particularly important for the lobbying industry, given the influence it has on all of our lives, um, given it interacts with government on a, a daily basis. Okay. Um, so can lobbying firms join the PRCA's public affairs code without being members of the PRCA, if you see what I mean? Is there a sort of separate mechanism for them? No, they've got to be a member because the, the ultimate sanction of a code is expulsion from membership. If you're not a member, there is no ultimate sanction. So, I mean, I, I can preempt what you're going to say. You're going to say you've got a vested self-interest in making this case, and you're completely yeah. right. But 
Um, we're a self-regulatory membership body. We want people to opt into self-regulation. That's what we exist for. Um, so, I mean, where do you... I'm just trying to work out where this goes from here, because this has been going on for a little while, hasn't it? Uh, I don't sense that... It seems to me that a lot of those companies... Well, actually, let's go back a stage. If you're... A, let's say you're a law firm or you're an accountancy firm or you're management consultancy there's a relatively small amount of your business that is relevant to the public to, to, to public affairs, the PRCA, the, the, um, the, the public affairs code. So how, how can a little bit of, I don't know, EY sign up to this or, or do you have, because there's well, a practical issue there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I get entirely what you're saying. Um, but the, the, there isn't a practical issue really. So for example, Shell, is a member of the PRCA. Um, it's not the whole of Shell. It's not their engineering uh, operation, for example. It's the comms and public affairs element of, of Shell. Um, the Department of Health is a member of the PRCA. It's not every civil servant on Whitehall and elsewhere. It's the comms function within the Department of Health. So yeah, the Ernst & Young, for example, um, um, lobbying wing could happily be a, a member of the PRCA. There's absolutely no impediment of, to them doing so. And, and let's be honest, they could definitely afford it. Yeah, okay, I, I see what you mean. But I, I just wondered whether there was a sort of pricing structure there, but there, frankly, I guess there is. Um, do you... What, so where do you think it's going to end up? Because it's not. it's been going on a little while. It doesn't seem to me that either party's looking like they're going to move on it. Um do you agree or do you, do, you, do you think there's going to be a compromise down the road? Um, I, I think this, really. The, the number of companies signing up to the PRCA code um, increases every year. So there is a willingness within the industry to sign up to self-regulation. And it's over 50%. So it is now abnormal not to be a member of the PRCA if you work in public affairs. The other bit is there are a relatively small number of public affairs and PR companies on this register that are not members. I mean, there are a few big names there. There's Brunswick and there's Finsbury that aren't members. There's Lord Mandelson's outfit, Global Council, that aren't members. But the, the agencies that are on the register but aren't regulated by us are very few in number. You've got this large number of uh, lawyers, accountancy firms, management consultants that have chosen not to be self-regulated. And then you've got Linton Crosby's companies that bizarrely have their own code. Now, I'm a member of the Conservative Party, so I have great admiration for Linton Crosby as an operator. But you can't mark your own homework. You can't expel yourself. So having your own code is uh, just an absurdity. Where do I think it'll go? Um, I, I think that the trend is towards more and more people signing up to self-regulation. That's obvious. So I think we'll get there in the end with all lobbyists signing up to a relevant self-regulatory code. I'd just like to speed up uh, the process of that happening. And I think there are a couple of uh, players in this really to make that happen. Um, first of all is public um, scrutiny and just asking the question, why have you decided not to do something you could very readily do? And secondly, it's parliamentarians and other decision makers asking those questions as well when people contact them. And we're definitely putting pressure on um, on that route. Do you think, 
it's going to end up in a scandal, isn't it? That's what will drive the the, the behaviour change on this, do you think? Ah, I've got to push back on that. Um, every lobbying scandal I see doesn't include lobbyists. It includes former um, parliamentarians who are trying to um, get a new source of income, frankly. Uh, the, the number of, I mean, you know, maybe you can name a couple of examples, but um, they, lobbying scandals almost always include no lobbyists at all. Sure. Now, just just thinking about I, I, what I can't never quite got my head around is why more people aren't signing up. Um, and I just wonder, do, do you think the PRCA is suffering from a bit of a bell passenger hangover here? Do you think some of these firms don't aren't joining the PRCA because they saw what happened with bell passenger? Um, and just from a risk perspective, um, they, they don't want to create that potential moment of theatre that um, yeah. expulsion from the PRCA might bring. Um I'll answer that in, in, in completely, if that's all right. Um, when we expelled Bell Parts, we had the biggest surge in membership the week, the seven days after we expelled them, that we had ever seen in our history. So, And I've said this line so often, the industry could have run away from self-regulation, but it ran towards it. Um, we had one company in public affairs that quit on the day we expelled Bell Pottinger because they didn't want to be governed by our code of conduct. And if you remember those days when we could have dinners, um, I did have a, a meal where uh, a senior uh, person in a public affairs company was sat behind me and was boasting to a potential client about how they could do things that competitors couldn't because they weren't covered by our code. So, yeah, there is going to be a really small number of people who deliberately choose to operate in the shadows and deliberately avoid being a member of the PRCA and being regulated. But it's a really small minority. And the the APPC members voting to merge with us three years ago, the growth in the organic growth in uh, public affairs membership that we've had, is proves that the industry does embrace self-regulation. Okay. Um, now, the elephant in the room here is that, I, I've never quite got my head around this, but... The vast majority of lobbyists, I think, to correct me if I'm wrong, are in-house, right? And yeah. none of those in-house lobbyists are on this this all-call list anyway. So, in a sense, the whole thing's a, a bit of a, you know, it's, I wouldn't say a waste of time, but you, you see where I'm going with it. I'd say it's um, inadequate. Um, it should, I mean, by law, if you work in-house, you cannot register with all even if you want to. Um, we have plenty of in-house public affairs teams uh, as members of the PRCA. Um, I, I think there is the, it's not giving the public the a full picture of the composition size of the lobbying industry. And the irony with this is that people who are being excluded want to be included. Um, it is intensely ironic that um, you have people saying to the government, we'd like to be compelled to join your register, and the government's saying thanks, but no thanks. And I just Again, don't think why? That why did that come about? Do, do you know? So it, it was in the initial legislation, and they've maintained it ever since. And um, again, it was ironic that we were calling as a self-regulatory organisation for the creation of a mandatory government register of all who lobby, which is, a, you know, 
an unusual position for membership bodies to be in. But the government took and takes the view that it's only third party lobbyists who need to register because uh, otherwise, because if you are, for example, BAE systems and you lobby, everybody knows uh, on whose behalf you're lobbying, your own. Uh, but if you are a public affairs agency and you lobby, uh, people don't know on whose behalf you're lobbying. Now, that's wrong in itself, because I never heard of a minister or a permanent secretary uh, who took a phone call or an email from an agency and said, we'd like a meeting. We won't tell you um, who's going to come to the meeting. We won't tell you who my client is. I've never heard anyone would ever say, oh, sure, I'm free next Tuesday at 11. Um, so ministers and the government knows exactly um, who third-party lobbyists are representing. And I just feel they have this blind spot uh, about it. In, in our view, everyone who lobbies ought to be included. I was a lobbyist at the CBI. We had hundreds of lobbyists. Um, we had our opposite numbers in the TUC. All of those were excluded. Um, Shell is excluded. So is Greenpeace. So are all think tanks. But they all ought to be included if the government's serious about this. Okay. So what, what you, would you like to see, see happen next then? Because, I mean, transparency and openness are, are critical, really, for lobbying, aren't they? There's always this... Um, concern in, the, in, in certainly within the media and with the with, with the wider public to an extent as well about the, the sort of shadowy element of lobbying and public affairs and 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 keeping that mm. transparency as an openness is is critical really for the the future of the sector isn't it so what, what would you like to see happen next yeah well i mean my starting point is that the industry is overwhelmingly ethical and professional but we can go further so what we would like to see would be the government to in extend its definition of who uh, has to register, to include everybody who lobbies, to broaden the uh, client base declarations so that they have to declare everyone they lobby on behalf of, rather than just the people who have direct contact with ministers and uh, permanent secretaries, for example, to include special advisors. Um, and for the companies who've decided not to adhere to self-regulation, um, for them to rethink that really bad decision and to sign up to the standards that other people adhere to. Francis Ingham, Director General of the PRCA, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.